Our text will be found in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verse 26 down through verse 38, Luke chapter 1. The Bible says in Luke 1 and 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. I just want to stop there. Do you believe the Bible when we read things like that? With God, nothing is impossible. Even though it seems like we're living in impossible days, even it seems like you're praying for impossible people or impossible situations, do you believe this morning that nothing with God is impossible? Well, I pray you do. Mary said, verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come to the time of preaching. We ask for your spirit to move among us and have free reign in our hearts. Remove the things that might be in the way, Lord, the distractions, the doubts, whatever it may be. I pray that you would speak now to our minds and to our hearts and to our very spirits as only you can do, Lord, and Hide me behind your word that it may stand forth and that we might be receptive this morning. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Christmas is here. Can you believe it? Five days. Five days away already. The year is almost gone and it has flown by, hasn't it? I sat for a while trying to come up with some clever joke to insert here, which if you know me is a dangerous effort, (laughs) never quite works out. I thought about congratulating everyone on getting to the final level of Jumanji or saying that the year is flying by faster than toilet paper at Costco. (laughs) It's gone by quick, hasn't it? Five days away from Christmas already. Less than two weeks from 2021 and a brand new year. Some of us, if not most of us, are kind of happy about that. I think we've all said it over the course of this year, haven't we? 2020 stinks. Can't wait for this thing to be over. Can't wait for it to be gone. We have all, all of us, 
regardless of how we're handling different situations, whether we internalize it or whether we worry or whether we busy ourselves, whatever it may be, all of us, to one extent or another, have found ourselves in what we would call undesirable circumstances. Whether it's the virus, the shutdowns, the political climate, government overreach, job loss, sickness, loss of loved ones. We've all found ourselves in a hard way, haven't we? And while this year has been somewhat unique, to be sure, the struggles we faced actually are not. They've always been around. Sickness has always been around. Instability in the economy or instability in the working force or, or viruses or death or depression has been around since man fell. And though this year may be, might be unique, we've got to learn how to navigate through that. I want to call to mind the theme we started 2020 with. And I know it's kind of gone off the rails and looped the loop a couple times. and we've, We're far from where I thought we would be. But we started the, th- uh, the year 2020 with the theme, Real Christianity. The idea that not only what we read and believe is real, but it must be lived out in our lives in a very real way. Now that has been put to the test, hasn't it? What do you find yourself as a Christian saying, thinking, doing in a pandemic? That's where real Christianity comes into play. That's where the rubber meets the road. In the undesirable circumstances. And we've tried to bring that to bear through all this. And I want to do that one more time this morning. What are we to do when things to the human eye look bad? When we find ourselves saying, this stinks, this is bad, this is not what I planned. I want to set that in your mind, and then we're going to come back to it as we go along. So, kind of wanted to start off with that. Now, over the month of December, we've spent some time in the Christmas story, if you will. You want the disclaimers on that, go to the first message. But we've spent time with this wonderful, beautiful event. We saw the fools who rejected Christmas, the fools who missed it. Last week, we looked at the faithful who received and rejoiced in Christ. And for this week, for a short time, I want to turn our attention to the family. The family. I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about Mary and Joseph. And of course, as always, we do all year, Jesus. Who is this young couple? And who is this baby that changed eternity? And what can we learn from the actions of from their actions and situations they find themselves in. So let's take a look. We, we read for our text a very well-known passage where the angel announces to Mary the birth of Christ. Look in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. That kind of sets the scene for us. This sixth month it's talking about is the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The mother of John the Baptist and Mary's cousin, as it says in a, in a few verses. The timing is probably around 5 B.C. or somewhere around there. And the setting is the town of Nazareth. It's a small, relaxed country town. Nothing important about it. 
Well, that would quickly change. The woman here is Mary. Her Hebrew name is Miriam, and it means bitterness. She's probably in her early teens, early to late teens maybe. And she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Espoused, it says. Betrothed is the word. Um, This is more binding than our engagements that we think of now. This was, for all intents and purposes, a very real marriage that could be uh, broken by divorce. And the only thing left was the consummation of it. She's a pure woman. A law-abiding Israelite. Just, if we were to see her, there would nothing stand out about her. She's a normal, everyday woman doing what she does. Nothing extraordinary about her. The Scripture doesn't mention her parents. You notice when she gets the news, as we will later, she goes to her cousin with the news instead of her mom. So, uh, she's probably lost her parents and maybe living with family. Nothing out of the norm for the day until God steps in. That's usually how it is, isn't it? We think things are going fine until God steps in and informs us of His plans for us. Sometimes things radically change, don't they? Well, let's let's put ourselves there as this happens. That begins in verse 28. The angel came into her and said... Well, she doesn't know what's happening. Verse 26 says, An angel, Gabriel, nonetheless, was sent from God to her. She thinks she's got her day planned out, her week planned out, her month planned out, but God is about to step in and inform her differently. Gabriel shows up on the scene. I wonder what he looked like. Was he bright and shining? Could he... Could she see him? Or did she have to shield her eyes? What did his voice sound like? That's the kind of things I think about when I read Scripture, and you ought to as well. She is visited by Gabriel the angel, and he has a very specific message for her. The angel, verse 28, came into her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, verse 29, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Any of us would do that. What? <laughs> what did he say? An angel shows up. Hey, you are really highly favored and you are blessed above all other women. What is he talking about? What do you mean? And the angel said unto her, Fear not. Do you know how many times that is said just in this account of the birth of Christ? Fear not to the shepherds, fear not to Joseph, fear not to Mary. We've already mentioned many times, that is the most uh, repeated command of Scripture is fear not. Fear not, Mary. It's okay. For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The greeting, if the greeting took her off guard, the news must as well. You are going to give birth to the Messiah. We see by uh, Mary's response in, in verse 46 and following, she knew her scriptures. She knew the promises. This would be ringing bells for her 
as the angel is saying, he's going to be the one who rules in David, on David's throne, the one who rules forever and ever. You shall call his name Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. These are all descriptors of the Messiah. And no doubt she would know that. And she has to process this. Can you imagine women receiving this news? You're going to give birth to the one that the Bible talks about. We're not told how long of a space there is between verse 33 and verse 34, but I imagine she, she sits there and thinks for a bit. What? What did he say? Me? And then she asks a very practical question in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? That's a good question. How's this going to happen? I've, I've kept myself pure. I'm betrothed to Joseph, but we're abiding by the law. How is this going to happen? Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. It's not going to be by human means, Mary. It's going to be supernaturally. Something that only God can do. And by the way, it's only happened once. It will never happen again. We need to understand the things that we believe. Some of these things we talk about at this time, they are tenets of the faith. They are foundation building stones of the faith that are not movable. Jesus Christ was virgin born. Period. Like no one else ever has been and no one else ever will be. It is a supernatural act of God that the Holy Ghost came upon Mary and did this act. He created that life within her so that Jesus is fully God and fully man. You hear people mess with that story, you turn your ears off and you walk away from it. This is a one-time event prophesied in the Old Testament. And Mary would know this. She'd recognize this as soon as as soon as the angel said, it's going to be by the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. She would know that. This is fulfillment of prophecy. Again, I say it again, like no one else ever has been and no one else ever will be. Not Mary herself. Not a prophet. Christ, the Son of God the Messiah of Scripture. She would know this. Notice her response in verse 38. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. That's a faithful woman. That's a faithful woman who receives maybe some puzzling news she doesn't understand at first, but then yields as a faithful servant to Christ. We don't have time to go through her song, her profession of faith in verse 46 through verse 56, but you see there who she was. She is a faithful servant who has yielded to God, who is subservient to Christ, subservient to the one that she would bring into the world. She is not deity. She's not somebody to be prayed to. Though she is blessed above all women, what a blessed position she had. 
There's a song, Mary, Did You Know? It's a beautiful song. I love the words to it. Did you know who this one is that you brought to the world? I like the, there's a, there's a line in there. I hope I'm not messing it up. That when you kiss your baby's face, you kiss the great I am. So much truth to that. that that's exactly true. What a beautiful, blessed privilege. But the answer to that question is, yes, she did know. She is a faithful woman. And you see it. Be it unto me according to thy word. I'm here, Lord, whatever you would have me to do. And may I say, as we move to the next one, she has a godly husband as well. Though they're not fully married yet, she has a godly husband. And he's probably one of the most overlooked and maybe downplayed person in the Bible. Joseph. Joseph's a good man. Joseph's a good man. He's a godly husband, and he will be a godly stepfather to Christ. Joseph. Joseph's name in Hebrew is Yosef, and it means he adds. He's probably in his very late teens to early 20s when this happens. He's a carpenter, as Scripture tells us. He's a hard-working, faithful Israelite. Most likely, he owned his own business. And like every other young man who is engaged or betrothed to a young woman, he's probably dreaming of his bride and waiting for the wedding day. I remember those days. I can't wait to start my life. As he's going along making chairs or plows or whatever he's making in his carpenter shop, I'm sure he's daydreaming of what it's going to be like to finally start his life with Mary. And then... Life changes. You're in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 39. Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Verse 56. Verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Everything's going fine. Then all of a sudden Mary comes up and says, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone for a while. Where are you going, Mary? I'm going, going to stay with Elizabeth. Well, how long will you be gone? What's wrong? Is everything okay? When are you coming back? Did she tell him then? I don't know. But there's no doubt when she returns three months later, it's very evident what's going on. Mary. You're pregnant. What happened, Mary? Who is it? Tell me. What have you done? Would not any husband ask the same? Who is it, Mary? The Holy Spirit? Really? You want me to believe that an angel told you? Do you know how this sounds, Mary? Come on, do you know what you've done? You've ruined everything. Now what are we going to do? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Joseph could take a step back and say this is bad. This is bad. Why, Lord? I thought everything was going to be fine. What's going on? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before they had any type of marital relations, 
She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now listen, the scripture does not say that about many people. Understand that. It says it about Joseph. He is a just, righteous man. And not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. At this point, Joseph is considering his options. He knows his wife is pregnant. He knows it's not him. They've been uh, waiting for marriage and abiding by the law and, and being righteous in that. And he is a righteous man, so he considers his options. And again, being betrothed was much more binding than our engagements. They were basically married. It had to be legally stopped. And there was one, there was one of two ways that he could do it. He could stone her. Bring her out into the public square and cast the first stone for adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. She broke the law in his eyes, in his mind, for what he understands. And so he would be justified in doing that. Or he could bring her through a public nasty divorce and she would be shamed for the rest of her life. But not Joseph. Now it says he's a just man, which means he's a godly man who understands God's mercy. And he looks to put her away privately, to do it quietly. Because I believe he still loves her and he's got a loving heart. So he'll do this privately. Everything's messed up from his perspective. Things have gone off the rails and now life is unsure, but God is not done with him. Verse 20, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord said, my Bible pages don't stick. Come on. Here we go. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this is a parenthesis that math. Matthew puts in there, I believe. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him Mary, uh, took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and, call, and he called his name Jesus. What a relief that must have been. Joseph, it's okay. She's telling the truth. What a burden lifted. At the same time, what a burden placed on his shoulders. Joseph, the one that's going to be born to her is the Son of God. God with us. So you take her unto you and you be a husband to her and do what the head of the household should do. And you notice that's exactly what he did, right? Verse 24, he raised up from sleep and did exactly as the angel had told him and took his wife. That means he married her. He completed the union legally. Though they did not have kids till after Jesus. And this 
man, this just man, believes and acts upon his belief. And she is kept a virgin until after Jesus. They'll have their own children later. In fact, Scripture brings up the, we would call them stepbrothers of Christ. In fact, two of them write books in Scripture, James and Jude. These are children of Joseph and Mary. And I believe he loves and supports and protects Mary and the child who is to be born. What we have here is a just man and a just woman who are blessed beyond belief, actually, to be the parents, to be the the household that would raise Jesus. They bring the child into the world who would save the world. Though at first it seems off, at first the situation seems bad, great blessings come because they are faithful to the one who has called them. Ordinary people used in extraordinary ways. Let me speak quickly about the birth. Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2, let's go back there and look at verse 4. We'll go there and then we'll go into the book of Philippians. Mark cha- or, well, Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. Everything's good. The angel has spoken. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. Don't know what it's going to look like and don't know how it's going to be. Is he going to be like a normal baby or, you know? What's it going to be like? Oh, it's so exciting. Everything's good now. Man, it was scary there for a little bit. And then what happens? Oh, we got a census. We got a tax. So uproot yourself and get to Bethlehem. When you're nine months pregnant, make the journey and do this. You don't got a choice. Caesar has spoken. Do it. And let's add to this what else we read in Scripture. Verse Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, which, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. That's a King James way of saying she's about ready to pop. It's time. She is great with child. And so it was, verse 6, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, turn off the Christmas card theology where you see the beautiful hay and the bright, glistening, clean stable and this little perfect wood manger cradle. That's not what a manger was. This is a normal birth of a supernatural child, of somebody who is unlike anyone else, but this was a normal birth with very sad circumstances. It said she brought forth her son. She didn't have a midwife. She didn't have family there. Poor Joseph's probably, probably doing the best he can, but it's her. And it's not in a clean place or a birthing room. It's in a public stable. You've been to a farm. You know what they're like. They stink. They're dirty. There's stuff you don't want to step in. That's where she gives birth to Christ, the Son of God. In the filth, in the stink, in the dirt, in the manure, which is a perfect picture of why He came. 
our sin. Our sin. You see, the the humble circumstances of His birth show the humility of His person and how low He came to save us. Philippians chapter 2. You know it. This child is unlike any other ever that ever has been born, that ever will be born because this is God with us. God come in the flesh. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. You know these verses too. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Don't let the language mess you up. It means he was equal with God. Didn't have to take it. Didn't have to strive for it. He is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He made himself, verse 7, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. You know what the Greek says? He emptied himself. He laid aside the glory of the angels singing to him from eternity past. Glory, glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. He laid that aside to come be born here. He laid aside His perfect form, whatever that may be, to take upon Himself this flesh, the form of a servant, the form of a created thing, and was made in the likeness of men. We think it cute to think that God was born and that God had to learn how to speak. God the Son had to learn how to speak and to use His hands and because we think our babies are so cute, and they are. And we think, oh, it'd be so cute, little Jesus. And there's a sense that our heartstrings are tugged by it. But if you think about it, that is degrading to the God of heaven. That is demeaning. That is humility beyond what we could ever think. That He who has no bounds on His existence, He who is, allowed Himself to be humbled and to be made like us. This child is unlike any other. Being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. Even at the death of the cross, he, He didn't just come to be born. He came to give His life. He came to die. That was the plan all along. That was the plan from eternity past. He is the the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew that He would come. He knew that He would not only be born in such a humiliating way, but that He would go to the cross and give Himself as the sacrifice for sin. He became obedient unto death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, this isn't just a man. This is God the Son with us. Jehovah, who is our salvation. Emmanuel, God with us. The one by whom all things were created and for whom all things were created and by whom all things hold together. The the King of creation who is adored and praised by angels, He who is God, humbled Himself, entered our time and space, was born like us in these sad surroundings, 
to save us. Why? Because He loves us with a love that we cannot even understand. We sing a song, What love, what boundless grace, what love He took my place. You know, He would grow from this manger, just like us. He would experience every shortcoming that we do without sin, but He would experience it. Hurt, sadness, pain. He would be rejected. He would be mocked, abandoned, and betrayed. Why would the God of heaven ever do this for His creation? It's in His name, Jesus. God is our salvation. Without Him, we have no hope. We are so lost in our sins, so hopeless and helpless. But God loves us so much, He let this happen. He came to save us, to suffer all that He did, to focus His life to the end on that cross so that you and I might be saved from our sin and the hell that comes as a result. If you ever doubt that God loves you, read this account. Read Matthew chapter 27 and The description there that not only did He come and He humbled Himself to be born to grow like us, but that He went to that cross willingly. That He allowed Himself to be beaten and to be mocked and to be nailed to the cross. And as that blood came down, He was atoning for our sins. That's the reason this whole scene took place. He's not just a baby in the manger. He is the Savior who died for you and for me. But can I say this to you? Not only is He not just a baby in the manger, He's not just the Savior who died on the cross and is risen sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's the coming King. He's the coming King. There's promises of that at His birth. There's promises of that all over Scripture. That's the living hope we hold to, isn't it? I know He came the first time to save me. And what a beautiful, peaceful scene. And what amazing love He shows. When He comes again, He will return as King. And it will be much greater than His first coming. You see, the first time He came, He came veiled in the form of a child. The next time He comes, He's coming unveiled. And it will be immediately and abundantly clear to all the world just who He is. Every eye will see Him. And every tongue will confess, that's the Lord. I know who that is. That's God. There will be no shepherds searching. Is this the one? Or wise men having to be guarded by, guided by a star? No. The whole world, all of creation will see Him. The first time He came, a star marked His arrival. The next time He comes, the whole heavens will roll up like a scroll. The stars will fall out of the sky and He Himself will be the light. The first time He came, wise men and shepherds brought Him gifts. The next time He comes, He will bring the gifts, rewards for His faithful and judgment for the rest. The first time He came, there was no room for Him. The next time He comes, listen, the whole world will not be able to contain Him. 
and His glory and His power and His might. He rules the world in righteousness and makes the nations prove His glory. The first time He came, only a few attended, only a few accepted, some wise men, some shepherds, some faithful of the nation. The next time He comes, every eye shall see Him, every knee will bow to Him, and every tongue will confess who He is to the praise of the glory of the Father. Oh, the first time He came as a baby, but soon He will come as sovereign King and Lord of all. So what we need to do is look to His first coming, the love and the grace and the mercy that is shown there for us so that we are ready for His second. He came to save you. He came to save me. He humbled Himself. Came down and grew and lived in this flesh and allowed Himself to be treated the way He did, allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross so that we could be saved from our sins and eternally experience that glory with Him. This baby in the manger is God. And it is Him we proclaim all year long. It is Him you need to know eternally. Him you need to prepare for. Even in 2020. Even if things are all messed up and you don't know what's going on. Here's where I want to just come back to what I mentioned earlier and finish up with this thought. (laughs) We know the story because we're outside of it and we read it and we say amen. Because we know what it means and what it represents. But think of what we would have thought being in Mary's place or Joseph's place. Mary, when she finds out that she's going to be pregnant supernaturally, the first human reaction is not praise God, it's what? Joseph's reaction, you're pregnant, what happened? Oh, forgive me, I read in Matthew chapter 1. He doesn't, Matthew's not even written yet. He doesn't know what's going on. He's living it. And the first human reaction is, this is bad. Or the birth. When they figure out, we, we gotta, he's got to be born here? This is not good. Don't you people know who he is? That probably would have been me. The human reaction is, this is bad. This is, this is not what I wanted. I don't like this, Lord. I don't understand this, Lord. What's going on? Yet we know the immense blessing that came because of it, don't we? The immense blessing to Mary, to Joseph, and to all of creation. Because of this. Do you understand this morning that God can take undesirable situations, undesirable circumstances, and bring the biggest blessings through those? Even in this year and all that we have faced, how many times have we said the same thing this year? This is bad. This is bad. I don't like this. Lord, what's going on? Even now, it doesn't seem to be letting up and it seems to, depending on who you listen to, seems to be getting worse. Right? (laughs) Beloved, God moves in the bad just as much as He does in the good. 
In fact, sometimes he moves more in the undesirable situations than he does in the good. Quite often, what we thought, if you look, look back in your life, and those times you think you thought that were really bad, this is going to destroy me, this is going to be so bad for me, God doing the greatest good through those times? He works all things together for the good of them that love Him and who are the called according to His purpose. All things. Not just when the stock market's up and you're healthy and your job's good and your marriage is good and your family's good. That's when God works the best. No, quite often it's when you're at rock bottom and things are not going good because it's there that you trust Him. It's there that you truly lean on Him, isn't it? And I bet 2020 has been the year you just might have leaned on Him more than any other year. You've probably found yourself praying more this year than you have of late, haven't you? And searching for answers in His Scripture and finding church to be precious. We've probably been closer to Him this year than we have in a long time. Well, listen, God moves beyond what we can see in the immediate. The question is, do we trust Him in it? Did Mary trust Him? Did Joseph trust Him? Do you trust Him? Do we hold to Him and follow Him wherever He may lead? Whether it's by still waters and green pastures. Oh, we like that. We like when the ground is level and the path is smooth and we're well fed and we're, we're well watered. Got to find different phrasing. We're well taken care of, right? What about in the valley of the shadow of death? Do you fear nothing there? Let's just consider this as we close. In those undesirable situations, in those times we might feel hard, God calls for obedience. You see, undesirable circumstances don't cancel the commands. Pandemics don't negate His expectations. Oh, you know what? You don't have to read the Bible. I know what's going on. It's okay. Come to church, obviously. We're all good. Is that what God says? Or does He say... Fear not. Over and over. Fear not. I've got this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Trust me. What if Joseph didn't obey? Take her to wife. She's of child from the Holy Ghost, and you're going to name him Jesus. What if Joseph didn't obey? I shall name him Larry, because I like Larry better. Oh, don't be silly, Pastor. Joseph wouldn't do that. God told him directly. Oh, did he now? And this is different. Because most professing Christians will do the same thing. Yep, God, you said that, but I don't want to do that. I want to do my thing. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We're good, God. You understand, right? You know me and my heart. You need to be saved. Well, you know, I, I, we'll work that out when I get up there. And I think, I'm pretty sure you've got a balance that put all my good acts on one and all my bad on the other. We'll be good. I'll get through. and You get the point. What if Joseph didn't obey in these undesirable circumstances? What if Mary said, no, no, pick somebody else? They didn't, did they? They were obedient. And through those times that they couldn't see clearly or they maybe couldn't understand... 
They saw the biggest blessing of their lives, didn't they? Now, there's a plan. This is not ours to pick and choose and to change or to ignore. There is a plan. Do we follow that even when it doesn't make sense and even when it might be during hard times? The Scripture still commands us to go and make disciples. Masks or no masks. Distancing or no distancing. It doesn't change it. Listen, I've seen people strike up conversation about sports and current events. and Well, that's, that's pretty easy now. Just, you'll find out real quick what people think. But you've got people striking up conversations with perfect strangers or about business. I've had to sit across from people at my desk in my office I've never met before. I, I don't know what their face looks like. <laughs> they had a mask on coming in the door. I've had to talk to them. We can do that with perfect strangers, even in the midst of this. Hey, but when it comes to God, what happens when our mouth goes closed? If we can talk about the other stuff, we can talk about God. There's no stopping that. They're still being obedient to that. They're still reaching out to people with love and bringing them here and sharing our testimony. No, hard times don't change that. It's the obedient ones that experience the blessings. God just might be working and moving in the things that we call bad. Can He do that? Oh yes, Luke one thirty seven. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Let me just close with this thought. I know there are some people who have been impacted very heavily. They've suffered loss. They've faced some very hard things. And I've seen God support them through that. But I also want to say to you this morning, He has blessed in this. 2020 has been one of the biggest blessings, biggest year of blessings for us at Faith Baptist. Wasn't it Kyle baptized? Sean baptized? I'm seeing faces I never would have seen before had the pandemic had the pandemic not come. You visitors are a blessing. I would have never met you probably. Had other places not closed their doors and we stayed open? Praise God for that. I'll take that any day. And if it... Uh, however God wants to do it, I'll take it. I've watched people of our own body face situations that seem overwhelming. We've watched God work in Brother Nick and Sister Holly's life, haven't we? Amazingly. Can't find a job, can't find a job. We're moving, we're having a baby. All of us are praying like mad. Then what happens? God steps in and boom, it's all okay. I've watched that time after time in my own life. Moving and working in what we would call chaos. Here's what I'm trying to say. 2020 may have brought you some undesirable circumstances and you may be looking around saying, this is really bad. First of all, don't forget the one who came to save us and who He is. He is our Savior and He is our Lord in control of all things. But this could also be the time when you experience the biggest blessings imaginable in your life. It starts with knowing Him. All that I said about Him is true. Came to die for you, to, to save you from your sins and hell. If you would just believe. You realize you can leave here this morning with eternal life? If you would trust Him? This could be the time when you surrender your life to Him to follow His Word and join this local church family through baptism and join us as we pray for each other and support each other and reach out to this community around us. This could be the time where you make that choice. 
This could be the time where you finally, when it all finally becomes real for you. It's not something we just say or do that this is who we are. As you see Him work and to realize there is nothing impossible for Him. As your faith is strengthened time and time again. So I will simply end by asking, will you trust Him? Will you follow Him? He who is our Savior, He who is our returning King, the God of all creation, who came so far for us, came so low for us to save us, will you trust Him in the impossible, in the undesired? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you take these words that have been spoken and use them as you see fit. Take them to the hearts of those that need it. Strengthen us by your word and by your promise, Lord, and for the fact that you came to give your life for our sins. Lord, I pray if there's any who does not know you, any who may be faltering in their faith, or any who might need to continue to follow you, whatever the need may be, you speak to that as only you can through your spirit, Lord. And even now as we come to a time of invitation that your spirit would move as you see fit. Do the work I can't do in each of the hearts here, Lord, as, as only you can. I ask this in the mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.